The following is a sponsored program on 100.7 FM, WHIN 1010 AM. The views, information, or opinions expressed during this program are solely those of the individuals or participants involved and do not necessarily represent those of Braden Madison Broadcasting or its employees. 100.7 FM, WHIN 1010 AM presents Sumner County Spotlight, a weekly public affairs program each Sunday morning at 10 AM. Sumner County Spotlight is brought to you exclusively by FNM Bank, 221 Indian Lake Boulevard in Hendersonville. FNM Bank offers personal banking, business banking, and mortgage loans too. FNM Bank is one of the top independent banks in Tennessee. Member FDIC, equal housing lender, MMLS number 518158. Here's your host for Sumner County Spotlight. Jeff Shannon. Well, good morning. This is Sumner County Spotlight, and this is Jeff Shannon. Welcome in this morning. Of course, uh, Sumner County Spotlight, sponsored by our good friends at FNM Bank at 221 Indian Lake Boulevard right here in Hendersonville and at myfmbank.com. Well, we've got an interesting uh, guest here this morning. I think you're going to find it very inspiring and educational, I, I must say, but longtime Franklin resident Steve Baum was recently elected to the National Board of Directors for the American Liver Foundation. And this is 11 years after he'd undergone not only a liver transplant, but also received a new kidney in the same surgery. Steve, that's amazing. It is amazing. <laughs> it is amazing. You heard that they could do it, but you didn't know if it could happen. And it was from the same deceased donor to whom we're really forever grateful, forever wow. grateful. And that helped the outcome as well, that it came from a single donor who was a very good match. Now, I do want the audience to know that you don't save money on a on a double transplant it's not buy one get one free which was my mistake that i, I thought that was the case but but no yeah. i've been very blessed very fortunate when you started this whole journey let's kind of go back and and do just a, a you know you don't want to get in all the gory details but i mean you have a, a pretty uh, graphic history as far as your condition sure. uh, went along no well, well it, Two weeks after I started dating my wife when I was 18, my dad was rushed into the hospital with internal bleeding. And, uh, and when they opened him up, they saw things they hadn't seen before. They saw cysts on his kidneys that were big and they thought would eventually cause him problems in kidney failure. And it was really the very early years of defining what's called polycystic kidney disease. So I suspected from age 18 that uh, I would probably face the same thing. It's hereditary. It's a 50-50 thing. I have a brother and a sister and another sister. You know, some have it and some don't. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, it's okay, this could happen to me. And I, so I went in, I passed a little blood one morning and and went in and uh, went ahead and had my own check. And yes, I had cysts on my kidneys as well about age 30. So I've known since age 30, and it's a long, slow decline uh, that you hardly know. You know, you're managing your blood pressure, you're watching your diet. That's how you're dealing with the long-term thing. Failure usually doesn't start happening until your 50s. Now, I knew about the kidney thing. What I did not know about is that I also had cysts on my liver and that the cysts were getting very, very big. So I had polycystic kidney disease, polycystic liver disease, and cysts that eventually got to be the size of grapefruits and softballs on wow. both organs. Wow. That 
could not have been comfortable at all. Well, I was beside myself. I looked. Uh, I was nine months pregnant for five years. <laughs> I had a conversation with uh, one high school friend, one girl. She says, you men have no idea what it's like to carry to term. I said, no, I know what it's like to carry for five years. Just, and it was cesarean, thank wow, God. That's wow. right. Wow. Jeez. I mean, did I see you, you had some pictures up of that? Did, did, I do. You did on, like on a side Steve, profile? On steveblum.org, uh, yeah. the page is uh, 111109, which is the date of my miracle when I got the double organ transplant. And there are some pictures on there. And, and they're a little gory, don't have the kids handy. But you'll see what a 30-pound cyst-covered liver looks like oh and a 9-pound cyst-covered uh, kidney. So that happened in uh, November, and I consider myself the only man in America. In fact, I think it's been proven, the only man in America who ever lost 39 pounds over Thanksgiving. <laughs> well, you got a good point there, for sure. So, how how long was your surgery? I mean, you had a, did they they did it at the same time? Did it at the did same it? time again? Another blessing. They didn't have to go in mm -hmm. twice. It was about six and a half hours from soup to nuts. They tell me. Um, you have interesting visions and the like when you're under. I, I talk about that a little bit on my site as well. Mm -hmm. I'm sure Kathleen will have a story sure. or two. Yeah, she didn't remember it. You know most of the things we talked about, you know, the first couple of days anyway, but we'll, we'll get to her story later. But uh, what, what kind of, what line of work were you in back then? Well, I had the, I was a radio disc jockey back in the seventies. Mm -hmm. And when we got married with a baby on the way, I went into the restaurant business because I figured we'd never starve. So <laughs> the restaurant business was good to us. I was in the chain restaurant business. Eventually I got too sick to be a traveling restaurant chain executive. And so I did some headhunting for a while. And then I actually went to work uh, for the government at the IRS because I could sit at a table and talk on the phone and I had to help people on the customer service lines. And, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, I was pretty sick. That was about all that I could, that I could do. You know, working with the IRS, you, you did that for a few years mm -hmm. until when did you start realizing that, uh, mm, okay, we've, <laughs> this is not going to work any longer. <laughs> well, uh, what happened is I never actually went on dialysis, which is another one of my blessings. My kidney function was down about 11%, but the liver being so big is what really caused uh, the need to, to go in for the surgery right away. I, I really couldn't breathe well. I couldn't swallow well. Uh, any calories that went in went in to support the cysts. And so, you know, I, I was uh, skin and bone in my legs and arms. I looked like a skinny guy carrying a watermelon around town. And you're how tall? Six, three and a half. Yeah. So, wow. <laughs> <laughs> I, re I remember going in the, in the Navy, you mm -hmm. know, when I was 18 years old. And I remember getting a, a picture of me, you know, you stand there with your skivvies at your locker and the, you know, and it's like, I was 150 pounds and I'm six two, but it's like, I don't look like that anymore. Oh, I look, I'll tell you, I look like a small letter B with feet. Is what I. <laughs> That's good. Um, um, so tell us a little bit more about you know your your story and and lead into how you really got involved with the American Liver Foundation. Well, one of the things that's, uh, that we share in common, people that are fortunate enough to get an actual transplant that goes successfully, is there is a burning desire to give back because we know we're lucky. I mean, we, we, just, we just know how lucky we are. And whether a person is spiritual or not, or religious or not, that begins to come into it well. So what do I, you know, what do you do with your time? What you, what do you do with this new gift of life? And in my case, I decided, well, I'm going to volunteer and, and jump in with both feet and, uh, 
and could have a little public speaking experience and go in and, and try to sign new donors and started doing that. And I did that with the Donate Life people here in, in Tennessee. By doing that, then I heard about uh, something called the Transplant Olympics. And I had been relatively athletic when I was younger. I was more a guy who liked playing sports as opposed to being a natural athlete. And so, mm-hmm. hey, it's a, it's a chance to go out and play some sports and do that. So I had a chance to play basketball and do a 5K and the transplant games. Then you learn about other opportunities that come up. And one of the things I learned is that people understand kidney disease to a certain degree. They, they know they're fragile. They know that they go bad. You know, it doesn't get a lot of love as livers don't get a lot of love. <laughs> you know, honestly, your friends and neighbors, some of them, the first time they hear that you're going to need a liver transplant, I mean, heck, in my background, I owned a wine shop for a couple of years. So there's a certain assumption, oh, yeah, the yeah. liver disease. Well, mm-hmm. no, it wasn't. It was, it was hereditary and it needed to be dealt with. So then I jumped in and got involved with the Liver Foundation as well, because livers just don't get no love. Sure. Well, and you know, the, the, we were driving the other day and we're, you know, in the midst of all of the liver thing. And of course, they're going on, uh, on the radio and they're talking about... Uh, do you have liver and onions? Yeah. They say, oh, yeah, we love chicken livers. And they're talking. And they go, really? And it just pops up just like that? <laughs> yeah, you become more of aware. So more aware. No longer. Liver and onions. Not in, <laughs> we're not thinking that. <laughs> well, and, and, and by the way, they limit your diet on a few yes, things, too. Yes, they do. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so let, let's go back to your experience, uh, you know, leading up to it and, you know, kind of walk people through maybe a chronological thing, like what they would expect if, you know, once they figured out, okay, we're gonna have to have, something's going on here, you you do your checkups, you go through all of the blood work and your diagnosis and maybe educate them a little bit about the, the early onset of this. Sure, well, diseases in some of the organs are, are silent killers. You know, there are people who don't know that they have liver disease or kidney disease until much, much later. The symptoms are gonna be more things like uh, high blood pressure. Can't explain the high blood pressure. Person isn't necessarily obese or eat the type of food that might cause that high blood pressure. Then they'll go in and, and uh, eventually uh, your family doctor will send you to a specialist and say, I think this is what's going on here. They're going to take some pictures. Sometimes is uh, you know, they're very, very simple processes and then they'll come back with a diagnosis. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the big things that America is facing right now with liver disease uh, has a lot less to do with anything involving alcohol and a lot more to do with obesity and something we call fatty liver disease. Mm-hmm. And fatty liver disease is, is extremely common. And if people went in and got themselves checked because they had some suspicions, uh, there are more people carrying that than they thought. And then there are the viral things as well. I think that the, the people did a great job of informing people about hepatitis C and hepatitis B, where it comes from, especially baby boomers, get yourself checked. You know, some of your lifestyle choices in your 20s mm-hmm. may have led to that. And now there have been great treatments for that as well that don't involve things like transplants. The only way you're going to do this is you've got to, we're going to have to do a transplant. Uh, it, it's, it, the thing is, it's not going to get better. There's treatment you know, that mm-hmm. you have to, to start. So kind of walk them through some of that because that, that's, you know, at the beginning, you're really kind of in shock and like, what do I do? I mean, you have to have blood transfusions. You got to go back and forth to the doctor. You're having blood tests constantly. So. Well, like, you know, a lot of that has to, hopefully you have a, a partner, a caregiver, a family member that that's in there somewhere that, that, that is coaching you along the way because it's very, very difficult to face alone. And yeah, there's a surprise involved. And once they tell you that you need an organ, there's fear. 
naturally if you're yeah. the unknown, even as you go out and get as much information as you can. But once you hear even that you're going to get a transplant or you ought to get a transplant, there's even a little bit of guilt. Like, you know, I know I'm sick. You know, my, my skin looks a little funny. Uh, my breathing is a little funny. Uh, my digestion's a little funny, but I don't feel like I'm dying. Mm-hmm. Does someone else need this liver more so than I do? Mm-hmm. And that was my case. You know, the first time they said, look, you don't just have kidney problems. You have liver problems. And we might have to go in and take that liver out well before it would stop functioning just because of the nature of how big it is and what it's doing to the things yeah. around it. Well, I was, that was soul searching, you know, who, you know, who me, you know, and, mm-hmm. and am I the right person? Aren't there people who are sicker than I? Mm-hmm. Well, you leave that up to the doctors. You know, early on when you first get this, you're, you, you kind of start educating yourself. Yes. And of course, in our case, Kathleen is just the loves research <laughs> and Dr. Google is her favorite friend Yeah, <laughs> and you can find everything on there. So she found a lot of these support groups, I think, which really, um, I mean, help because these folks have already gone through all of this mm-hmm. and can really lay things out for you. And the great thing about it is, is how supportive everyone is about that other person going through it. If you had any generosity in your nature at all, it comes out. And I, you, Kathleen may have mentioned to you that that's how she and I met. Oh, yes. We yeah. met on yeah. one of those boards, the, the liver transplant patients. And so she was talking to people who had uh, received transplants mm-hmm. while she knew she was still counting down. And you never really know when that call comes. Exactly. I bet that was an interesting evening in your household. Yes. <laughs> it was in ours uh, when, when the call came. You know, I, I'd had the suitcase packed and by the door for 10 months. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, we were all ready and the bills were paid in advance. And we knew we had a two hour drive because I had mine done down at UAB in Birmingham because of the size of the liver. I just needed someone who could deal with something that big and there was a surgeon there that had some experience in that area and you go through you're calling all the neighbors and, and doing those things wait till it sinks in that's i mean that's what i'm right. trying to get to. i'm trying to remember the the roller coaster that we've in the ride that we've gone through has just been amazing um but you know i keep thinking back on the support and how compassionate people are and mm-hmm. we'll, we'll get into that you know later on as well but the process that that people go through it's it really is kind of scary and if you are by yourself now i know according to some of the rules they have you have to have a primary caregiver and mm-hmm. a secondary so maybe cover some of those rules that people need to, to know about ahead of time. And a few of them, there's a lot of rules. Sure, but. sure. well, you know, when you go through for testing uh, to qualify for an organ transplant, because not everybody who is sick is a, is a good candidate, you know, mm-hmm. unfortunately. And you, you go in for, in our case, it was two days when we talked to nine different people, but including uh, in that nine different people with seven different tests, you're going to spend time with a social worker and you're going to spend time with a psychologist and that social worker and that psychologist are going to ask you some very pointed questions Mm -hmm. and uh, you'll go through a battery of psychological tests and the like that help determine you know that you're the person you identify as being your partner or caregiver is going to go through some of those questions and tests uh, as well and uh, and that's quite a process Mm -hmm. I, i guess i was fortunate you know i knew i had kidney disease for a long long time and in my case then when liver came in it was oh okay well something else as well i mean you know i mentally prepared i think for knowing that what things were coming i, I wouldn't say preparing for the worst hopefully you're preparing for the best but it, mm-hmm. it's a long wait and then when the liver was thrown in there as well yeah it was almost that way it's almost oh well okay here we go yes and so then they they just 
they put you on this, you know, battery of blood work that you're mm-hmm. constantly doing because they want to monitor that and and tell us about the MELD score and, and where that falls into this uh, process. Well, I'm not an MD, you know, and yes. I don't don't even play one on uh, on the radio. But just uh, what you have experienced with uh, <laughs> MELD scores. My MELD score was not terribly high. My MELD score, I think, it was uh, maybe had gotten to 24 by the time that I had. And the MELD score is a is a combination of two or three different factors: creatine. Um, and yeah. some other medical terms. Creatinine that, and some other things. That, that's correct. That's and they correct. give you a percentage, and that comes out to a certain number. The higher the number, the sicker you are. Right. The right. lower the number, you're, I mean, you're on, you know, so they want to monitor that all the time to see where you're at. And that, there's someone else that I friended who was also waiting on a liver. This, this guy lives in, uh, in uh, Pensacola. And his meld was in the 40s. So all wow. of a sudden, his really jumped, and, and they got him in there very quickly. Yeah. You know, if you're going to need an organ, uh, you know, if you're going to need an organ, <laughs> <laughs> you don't get to pick and choose. Yes. But the wait list for livers is, is a lot shorter. Uh, you know, mine was 10 months. I think uh, Kathleen will share what her time frames mm-hmm. were when, when she comes on because they tend to be more available. But something else that's happened in the last couple of years is the fact that partial organ donations from living donors mm-hmm. has become much, much more common. And well, and, and you made a good point because this was it's something that's very emotional and we're going to cover more on that topic right after the break. FNM Bank presents Sumner County Spotlights. Since 1906, FNM Bank has been serving Middle Tennessee with first-class products and services. Visit them today at 221 Indian Lake Boulevard in Hendersonville or myfmbank.com. Okay, this is Jeff Shannon, and welcome back to Sumner County Spotlight. We've uh, been speaking with Steve Baum, and I'll tell you, it, I bet you we can talk days on this because there's just so much information, but we left off talking about donors and living donors. Uh, kind of educate us on that. Okay. Well, signing up to be uh, an organ donor is, is simple. Well, I have a link on my own website, uh, several links on there. Rather than try to send your listeners to several different places, mm-hmm. they'll go to stevebaum.org. They'll see where they could uh, sign up to be an organ organ and tissue donor uh, and they'll also see ways to make um, uh, if they're motivated to they can make a uh, tax deductible contribution all the nonprofits have had a very rough year so yes, any, any yeah. contributions for research and education are very much appreciated but it's a simple process now you need a lot of people to sign up to be organ donors because in all likelihood maybe 2% of the people who register to be organ and tissue donors will actually pass away in the set of circumstances that allows them medically to, to be one. Yeah, yeah. And the beauty of living in our part of the world is, you know, not only are we in the volunteer state, but here in the, in the South, people volunteer and they sign up. And our percentage of population that have already signed up to be organ donors is very, very high. Sure higher than other parts of the country. In fact, high enough that other parts of the country would like our organs when they become available. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're working to improve that in their parts of the world, and we're just fortunate to be here. Well, and it's not the true that most of the livers are filled with moonshine around here in the in the hillbillies. <laughs> no, they <laughs> no. <laughs> don't take those. No, no, I, I came came along with shoes. I think. <laughs> so go with the the living donor. Now I know I was it was a daunting thing to sit there and go. Well, how do you ask somebody to be a living donor? So explain what the process might be with that and. 
sure. how they would do it. Sure. Well, there's such a thing as a tissue match uh, that has to do with blood and, and other things. And relatives typically are pretty good candidates to be a living donor. But you know, the liver is the only major organ other than skin. Skin's an mm. organ. So mm. skin regenerates itself. Livers regenerate themselves. And that's how people can not only recover from a liver disease, some of them, if they catch it and, and change lifestyles, diet, and that type of thing. But also when it comes time for a transplant, they can take 40% of the liver from a living donor. Uh, they can transplant that into the recipient. In both cases, that liver will regenerate. It, it will grow back. And, and eventually they'll end up with two normal livers. Mm -hmm. We actually have, uh, if we didn't abuse ourselves, we have more liver capacity than we need. Yeah. And, uh, and then those things, uh, like I said, the fact that it regenerates is, is fascinating. And a lot of the liver transplants that happen now are from living donors. In fact, it's, it's quite common and there are celebrities that talk about their experiences with that as well. The, the process, um I mean, there are factors involved. Now, you can't just say, okay, like you couldn't have donated a liver to Kathleen. I mean, it's great circumstances, but <laughs> let's just say there there are factors in place like size, weight, mm -hmm. uh, age. Well, uh, but with living donor, it has less to do with that. Mm -hmm. Maybe the most common procedure right now on living organ donation with livers uh, has to do with mothers giving a partial liver transplant to a child now obviously there's a size and weight difference sure. there but there's a genetic match yeah and uh there's a, a childhood disease called biliary atresia that uh, if it happens early in one's life it is probably going to result in the need for a transplant and many of those go from parent to child i didn't know that going into this <laughs> that mm -hmm. okay you have to have variables going on here that that kind of match and of course blood type and uh, and there are some things they ask you like would you take a hep c or a b you know they have those factors now they they i guess if i get it right the a and b not so much but the c they they can treat that so if you have a liver mm -hmm. that does have hep then they can treat that so it's not going to affect anything that much in the last three years uh yes the the, the treatment for hep c has been a major breakthrough and uh, and yes it is curable at this point and and it should not affect a, a transplant and they've even started doing um on hiv from uh, from one hiv positive person to another oh, hiv right? positive wow. person so okay. that's opened the doors for some people as well yeah and so it was kind of an eye-opener uh when you start thinking well this thing's coming to me diseased but you know, they can treat it you know so it's not uh, these liver teams are amazing mm -hmm. now of course vanderbilt being one of the premier institutions in the world mm -hmm. we're so lucky to be so close to it but the the people there are tremendous i mean i i, I can't say enough about them i mean the thoroughness of it the 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 paperwork that you go through everything's explained and you know they have the portal I mean, you do blood work, and and within hours you have the results of all your blood work that come to you, and so you can you can follow that yourself. So, if there was ever a question in anybody's mind on whether or not we receive the finest medical care in the world in the United States, go through that process, yes. and and you'll see that we have marvelous people, very altruistic and giving people in charge. They're they're wonderful, and they they do they'll they'll call you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you actually can talk to somebody. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they're going to assign you a coordinator. Mm -hmm. um, ours has, has been very very thorough. Anything that, that needs to be done. I mean, the documentation. I mean, they, they give you this the, the three-ring binder they call <laughs> the Bible. <laughs> and, the, and it covers everything. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, glucose monitoring. You have to – and the amount of medication – that you have to go on mm -hmm. uh, on this is yeah, 
pretty it's, pretty incredible. Well, it was pretty <laughs> remarkable. I mean, I, I took my nine pills this morning after breakfast when I came in. Yeah. Actually, three of those I have to take, you know, on an empty stomach beforehand. Yeah, yeah that's a, that's a part of your life. We have a a love hate relationship with our medication. Yeah. Some of them have some side effects of their own. Yeah, uh, I take enough prednisone that uh, I'm supposed to have really a full head of hair. You know, according well, I thought to you looked like Arnold Schwarzenegger over here. He's buffing it. Whatever it takes. <laughs> but I think the um, there there are some medications that they're going to you know go change and, and they monitor you all the time. So mm-hmm. even at your stage, being this long, are they still monitoring your? Your blood levels and seeing where you're at every every ninety days. Okay. And, and what I can do is uh, our local hospital in Williamson County has a LabCorp facility in mm-hmm. there, and so uh, they have a standing lab order. I go in every three months, empty stomach early in the morning. They do that. They mm-hmm. send it down to the doctor and the coordinator mm-hmm. that uh, that I work with, and you know they will do some tweaking. They'll mm-hmm. do some yep. tweaking. You know there are some like prednisone and like tacrolimus that uh, they want to wean you down to as low a dose as possible over time sure. and they make those decisions based on those trends in all those uh, mm-hmm. in all those labs well in the the prograph that's the number one mm-hmm. medication of all time mm-hmm. that's the tacrolimus yeah. that's the one that you take for the rest of your living life you know there are some tests going on very early stages really? okay. but I'm, I'm prepared to take prograph for the rest of my life sure but fortunately right now you know once you get to a certain point and i'm 10 years plus and that's a big milestone yes so yeah. almost regardless of your age so at 10 years plus they have me down to just two program in the morning and and, and two at night Good. All right. but i was on five and five for a long time and yeah. five and five prednisone mm-hmm. for a long time yeah ours we're still in the early stages so mm-hmm. we're at a seven right now on mm-hmm. the, the program but and and they're they're checking that but uh you know the great thing is is they they keep you up to date like and they're going to tell you the truth they're when you need to worry about something, we'll tell you. Because mm-hmm. a lot of people are going to sit down and start thinking, oh, what, everything's going to be bad and negative and this is going to happen. But they do you know, manage your information as well. Well, in between times. And, and that's what you learn how to do, whether you're someone who meditates or someone who prays or someone who does both. Yeah. You know, there's a lot that's being taken care of for you. You are in good hands. Part of it is just getting your mind in that place where you understand that and accept that. It, it is a, an educational process for sure, not so much for the patient. I mean, you're going to learn that because it's your body, but you know, for a caregiver, your primary caregiver, it's it, it takes a lot of education. And I think it's a lot of times requirement. I mean, I, you have to be at every appointment. Mm-hmm. You have to be there and you have to learn everything. And, you know, while you're in the hospital, and we were in a, a very short stay, but you have to learn how to do this, how to take glucose readings, how to give insulin, because you have to take that for a little while, and then manage the, the what the medications are. I mean, you ha- they show you all of this, so the education process is is, is pretty thorough and, and pretty impressive. Yeah, and, and I'm very lucky. Ann and I just had our uh, 46th wedding anniversary. Mm-hmm. Congratulations. And thank yeah. you, thank you. Got lucky there, too. <laughs> a couple of big lucky moments in my life, yeah, and that was one as well. But uh, but yeah, she was there for everyone, and, uh, and, and she's the note taker. And mm-hmm. also, the, the second person in the room to ask the questions that the patient isn't thinking of. You know, yeah. when you're a patient, you're trying to listen as best as you can, but it's hard to slow down those wheels inside your brain, and so sure. the second person there is just tremendous help but it is very important and i think that you know have somebody there now there are those individuals that you know you might be single maybe you don't have relatives that live close by and things like that but you know you you can find somebody that can help you out and that's how compassionate people are yes 
Very much so. Very, very much so. Now, things are going to happen along the ways. It'll be surprises. One of my surprises was I learned that I picked up an allergy in my transplant with my liver and kidney transplant, Uh, a dairy allergy I had not had before. And about six weeks after my surgery, I had ice cream for the first time. And that was my first trip to Vanderbilt. <laughs> was, was overnight when they're wondering why, you know, what is going on? You know, my throat's closing up and all these different things. And uh, so you learn how to manage that. I just, there's some dairy I can have and some that I can't. Mm-hmm. But there will be surprises uh, along the way. And so knowing that can happen, knowing to be adaptive, knowing right. that uh, life is long and little stuff will happen. Right. So you mentioned earlier about some of the support groups and boards, and uh, now the American Liver Foundation, I'm sure that you have such great information on there that anybody wanted to go there, they can learn everything they needed to know oh, about sure. like, going liver through this process. Liverfoundation.org, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, lots of information on there. We just, In fact, we've spent the last year, both our YouTube and our website, going through and, and updating things, always making it more clear and trying to make it more interesting as well. I mean, basic medical inform- information is pretty dry, mm-hmm. but we have in there, you know, we have stories from people that have been through what we have done. And, uh, and they helped to, to make it more relatable. And, and I'm sure there's information for caregivers as well, so what they can expect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So everything you need to know is right there. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and we're active here locally, by the way. Uh, the you know, Liver Foundation, that we do have an engagement director uh, here in Middle Tennessee who covers a few states. You know, we have local activities and the like when we're not covered up with the pandemic. And uh, uh, so we, we have our own functions to, to try and do outreach uh, so, but liverfoundation.org, stevebaum.org, there'll be a lot of information people can find. Everything you need is right there for sure. So again, tell us about some of these uh, support groups. And now there's many of them, I'm sure, you mm-hmm. know, on Facebook, there's tons of them that you can go. And, well, there are, uh, you, you'll find some on there with 200 people and some with 10,000 people. Mm-hmm. They're, a, they're a good place to hear other people's stories. Be careful when asking some questions. Some people want to be too helpful. You know, the people who give the best advice say, a, this happened to me. B, ask your team. You know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's a good question. Ask yeah. your coordinators. Yeah. Sometimes the best advice because everybody has a different situation. They I do. mean, you know, you have different body types, different things that might go on. Some people just it's one organ. Some people like yourself had two, some maybe three. I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's pretty incredible information. But some more tips on dealing with these support groups and maybe some red flags to watch out for. Well, red flags are 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 when you get into a group and you introduce yourself and you're all always welcomed. And, and, and again, that's one group where, where Kathleen and I met are 6,100 really involved people. Mm-hmm. Uh, the biggest red flag is someone who goes on too much and wants to give too much advice. Right. Uh, and, and, uh, and I always urge people caution on that. But hearing other people's stories help you so much more learn how to deal with your own situation. At that point, you just, you're just a sponge for information. You're trying to learn what they went through. What do you expect? I mean, Mm -hmm. the the folks that have gone through it, I think is great information to have, but knowing, I mean, if you go into it correctly, like you said, and then just, you know, filter that information and use, you know, for yourself and how it's going to help you. Mm -hmm. uh, But always, you know, seek out the professional advice. Don't take, uh, you know, other people's advice on, on handling medication and such. Uh, But the team uh, I think is very informed and they need to be informed. Everything that goes on, even the especially in the early stages where we're at right now, anything that is not normal, mm-hmm. you let them know. Mm-hmm. It might not be anything, but it could. <laughs> is either one of you uh, keeping a, a, a diary or a journal at this point? 
just in the Bible. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I put all my notes in there. In fact, we went uh, the other day, and she had already put her little sticky notes on the different questions she has on these different pages. Mm-hmm. So, and we're sitting there, and then she just flips right through those and make sure you get your questions asked because sometimes you just forget them. You mm-hmm. know? But even with me being there, I'm still you know getting these questions, and she might forget something that I'll I'll interject. So it's it's good to have that information. So on my website as well, if people want more information, uh, I do a little writing as well, mm-hmm. and and uh, I have on there a, uh, a, a, a half memoir, half novel called The Life and Times of Chuck Basement that talks about my own experience. Chuck Basement was an alter ego. I got picked, I was a little kid and I got a little fat kid and I got picked on a lot when I was little. So I developed an alter ego named Chuck Basement and uh, they might be able to pick on me, but by God, they could never pick on Chuck Basement. So I, I talk about how Chuck got me through a few of those situations that yeah. had to do with the transplant process. And yeah. that's on there as well. Oh, well, that's awesome. Just, just free reading, not trying to sell a thing. Yeah. Just free reading. <laughs> Well, Steve, you know, I think at this point in, you know, our journey through this, um, we're still trying to absorb a lot. And there's there's things that we're learning, but always knowing that it's going to get better. Mm-hmm. It does. And you have to have that, that positive going forth uh, mentality when you're doing this. Mm-hmm. Living, living your life, but living your life with caution is even more important to people who are transplant recipients. We're very sensitive to things like face masks and the like. And uh, but you don't have to hide. You know, you don't have to live in in a corner in the basement. You know, you can carry on a very normal life, and it gets more and more normal as you go along. Sure. Well, we've been talking with Steve Baum, and of course, he's with the American Liver Foundation and a liver and kidney. Uh, transplant recipient and going on 11 plus years now and many, many more uh, coming forth. So Steve, I want to thank you so much uh, for coming in, visiting with us. Uh, I appreciate you for reaching out to Kathleen. And speaking of Kathleen, Kathleen Hawkins is my wife. She's the president of the Hendersonville Area Chamber of Commerce. We're going to be hopefully talking with her if I can get her up with enough energy to, to share. So with that, we'll be right back with more of Sumner County Spotlight. FNM Bank presents Sumner County Spotlights. Since 1906, FNM Bank has been serving Middle Tennessee with first-class products and services. Visit them today at 221 Indian Lake Boulevard in Hendersonville or myfmbank.com. Welcome back to Sumner County Spotlight. This is Jeff Shannon. We're going to continue our, our talk on liver transplant and liver donations. And we've got a great story here. And, of course, it's it's kind of personal here because I was right there for the whole process. So we're going to be talking with Kathleen Hawkins. Of course, she's the president and CEO of the Chamber of Commerce here in Hendersonville. And I think you're going to be amazed at, at what you're about to hear and in the process that we went through uh, getting to where we are at this point. And, of course, we still have a long way to go, but we want to welcome to the mic right here, Kathleen Hawkins, and welcome into the spotlight. Here we go. Thank you so much, Jeff, for having me here today and for allowing me to share with Sumner County um, my story and, and how I got where I'm at today. It's It's been such a whirlwind, and I know a lot of people are are um, shocked to hear that I just went under, like underwent a major surgery a week and a half ago, and they didn't know why or when or how, and either did I, and I just wanted to share that with everybody. Let's back up and kind of give them some history on how this kind of evolved. I mean, of course, we can't tell everything because it would take us forever to, to cover the whole story, but... Uh, summarize and chronologically go over kind of like what happened. 
Okay, well, it actually could be summarized very quickly. 2020 sucked, Jeff, um, for, for, for everybody. It was a very, very difficult year for everybody. But in the um, midst of, let's see, um, tornado recovery relief efforts and then COVID pandemic and trying to um, do my best to counsel and, and to assist and provide um, just strength and support for businesses all over Middle Tennessee, um, I was diagnosed with a terminal illness. And um, that was that was a hard a hard pill to swallow and not knowing the future and, and what it would take. Um, it was after about two years of an autoimmune issue that I had been struggling with. You guys have all seen it. You've seen me go from 185 pounds to 105 pounds. And, you know, you've watched the transition through the last year and a half, two years. But um, I finally got answers in March of 2020. And they were answers that that scared the daylights out of me. But I had faith that that somehow, some way, you know, my story would be told the way it should be. Well, I think it's when you initially get that diagnosis of what this, okay, this is what's causing this. Now, for years, we've gone through, well, we don't know. It, it was always allergies, right? It was uh, something else. But nobody can really tell us definitively, here's what the problem is. How did you get so big? Why did that happen? Allergies. <laughs> Inflammation, inflammation. They all kept saying it was inflammation. It was due to allergies. And it was due to allergies. It was due to toxins in my body. And there were lots of different toxins. And I'll, that's a whole nother show. One day we'll come back and we'll talk about what causes toxins and what caused me toxins and, and how those that started to evolve. But it, it could be anything from things that you put into your body that you shouldn't, um, whether it be the wine that I used to like to drink, the, the sugar that I used to like to take, the supplements that I used to take all the time because I was always looking for a quick fix, all the way down to my breast implants, um, which caused major problems. And um, so it all started with those little things, but there was a great local Hendersonville-based physician that actually discovered a heart murmur in March of 2020, and she's the one that started directing me to the answers that I needed and um, led me to where I am at today. Well, I mean, the journey has been kind of incredible. I've never seen so many tests that you can run on a body and how many things can go wrong or happened within the body, but the tests just were endless and endless, weren't they? Oh, they were. And for those of you that know anybody that's ever had an angioplasty, that was probably the the one that I hated the absolute most um, to make sure that my heart was strong enough. Because you have to go through, when they when they first told me that my liver was failing and I would have anywhere from three to five years, but, but they didn't know when the clock started. So the three to five years could have started three to five years ago, which meant I could have had a day. They didn't really know those things. They just knew that it was, it was failing quickly. And some months were for worse than others and more challenging than others. Um, but they needed to make sure that before I got was able to be put on a transplant list that I reached, that I was qualified, that I was going to be strong enough to survive it and strong enough to go through it. So the first six months were, were like you said, an endless array of tests. And then in August, um, August 12th of 2020, I was finally approved to go on the transplant list, which was told that it would probably be a, a year, maybe two, maybe three year wait. I know people that have waited for four and five years. We met a lady the other day at Vanderbilt that was on the list for 14 years. So never in a million years did I think that it would happen this quick. But that's the biggest part of the story that I want to share is I want to give people that are faced with a terminal illness hope. And I want to give people um, information on why it's so important to be a donor, because somebody else's tragedy became my second chance. And um, by the grace of God, I mean, I'm a believer that God's plans are always bigger than and greater than we can ever imagine. And the fact that I received a life-saving transplant in less than seven months is truly a testimony um, of, of God. Well, I think that's the hardest thing is the weight, not knowing, 
You know, it's like, okay, is it going to come? And, and of course, then you, you talk to them and they say, well, it can happen anytime, so be prepared. So we had bags packed, I mean, ready just to pick it up and go on a moment's notice. And it, it's the, it's something that you, you look forward to. You want it to happen quickly, but it just, you're, it's like when it does, it's like, wait a minute, what? But let's back up a little bit. There were times when going through this where you would go in for, they would send you to have tests and x-rays. And I think you've had every scan x-ray that there is. And people, the doctors were amazed that you were even walking. Tell that story. That was, it was just, it's like, what? You're still walking around? How, how were you even walking? You drove here? Yeah, that happened quite a bit. And that, that was also the thing that puzzled me the most because I kept wondering if, if there was a mistake. Like, like everybody kept saying, uh, normally people that come in here are more yellow than you. More Normally the people that come in here um, have a trouble walking. When I went to Tennessee Oncology, they immediately sent me to Sumner Regional to have a blood transfusion. Um, and she said, you should not be you should not be driving. You should not be walking. Like, how did you make it here? And I was functioning. I was working. I mean, some people that know me real well noticed a difference. Um, one of my board members said, um, asked if everything was okay because um, he was concerned that our relationship may not have been the same. And it's, it's because he noticed my change in energy he noticed how more fatigued I was so even though I was I was pushing myself through um, some people that knew me really well could see that that I wasn't the same but I was still healthy you know I mean um, the physician that first noticed it she said Kathleen I think you have been so sick for so long you forget what it's like to feel healthy and in such a short period of time it's only been a week and a half since I've had this transplant my brain already feels better. My attitude already feels better. My anxiety is already lifted. And it's because I'm starting to become my old self again. You know, you the body is a, a strange and wondrous thing. And you don't realize that when you're, I, I knew my white blood cells were messed up. I knew my red blood cells were messed up. I knew, you know, my oxygen level wasn't where it should have been. But I didn't realize how much it was affecting me and who I am and in my personality on a daily basis. Well, and, and I think a lot of people saw you working but ever since we've got here, and it's going to be six years, they really haven't seen Kathleen at 100 percent. See, that's that's the thing that <laughs> all I have to say, get ready, Sumner County. She's back. And <laughs> where do you see what happens coming up? You know, we think the energy was was high before. Well, get ready for it. So she's uh, coming through this this whole process very strongly. It's it's so funny that we think about it. We're sitting right here, and just a week ago, we you know, it we got the call on the Friday, and I think you were uh, doing a, a board retreat. And so oh, that's a good one. Tell that story. Well, I had I had wondered for a long time. I had really wanted to have a conversation with our board of directors because they're such a vital part of what we do as a chamber in the largest chamber in Sumner County, but as a chamber here in our community. And I had wanted to have a conversation, but everything had been being held via Zoom. And how do you tell your board that you've been diagnosed with a terminal illness and you might not make it, or you have to undergo a major life-saving transplant um, to, to, to move forward via Zoom? It just didn't feel appropriate or via the phone. So I kept waiting for a chance to have a face-to-face conversation with people and and because of COVID that just that just never happened and um, we were in our board retreat January 22nd at 1130 right right before lunch and I, I did get the call I was blown away and I was shocked I did know immediately when the call came through though and it was a unrecognized out of the state number which was kind of odd somebody must have been using their cell phone and I knew immediately that that that, that was the call it was like my intuition or the Holy Spirit said that that's what it was 
And I was able to tell my entire board um, without thinking or, you know, analyzing it. It just I was able to say, hey, I have an announcement to make. I'm leaving. Um, They so graciously prayed for me and they were amazing. It, It was just it was it was just it was God's timing. And we went and, and it happened that evening here at Vanderbilt in Tennessee. The interesting thing is I got the call and I got the call and they said, this is the liver transplant team. And I'm going, wait a minute, could this be it? And it was. And apparently they tried to call you, but you were in the middle of the retreat and you know, you're speaking and all that. So I immediately hung up and called you and, and luckily you answered it right away so that's when you went up and announced it and said okay see you bye bye i'm out (laughs) and there we went and so explain or tell everybody kind of like what you were feeling you know from that point on because it was it was pretty crazy that that what we had to do and get down there that quick and then the time lapse that that happened and how all that process went well first i i was i was scared and and i remember in my car before i even left i sent out a Facebook message because I knew I needed I needed every all my prayer warriors out there I needed I needed to be covered in prayer because there have been a lot of support groups that I've been part of just reading and analyzing and, and learning as much as I could that have said that you get what, what are called dry run calls so a lot of people go they get the call and they go to the hospital three or four times before they actually have it happen and, and it's a dry run they're either they're either the backup or they're um, they're just in case something happens with a person that is 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 going to be receiving the transplant. So I wasn't 100% convinced it was going to happen. I was shocked that it happens. I got the call so soon. I was anxious. But then you also go through a, a large a large amount of guilt knowing that somebody else has to die if it's not a living donor, because you can be a living donor. The, the liver is one organ where you can give up part of your liver if it's a healthy liver and still function and um, share that with somebody else. But nobody in my family um, was compatible. You have to have the same blood type. You have to have a similar body type you have to there's all sorts of things that you have to go through so and and the majority of them do come from deceased donors I was still afraid and there was still no certainty yet when I finally got to the hospital I did discover that um, the the doctor had said this would be my liver so it, it kind of took the it took the fear out of the the fact that I may be some second place or second alternative candidate um, he said this would be a good liver this is a good match I'm only 53 and you know at the time I was uh, 120 so I'm, I'm petite and they had already told me that it's going to be hard to find a liver that would be appropriate for my size because smaller livers usually go to children and um, a lot of accidents here in Middle Tennessee a lot of donors come from hunting accidents or motorcycle accidents or, or driving accidents and And let's say not to be stereotypical or anything, but let's say you have a 200 pound hunter or 250 pound hunter or a 300 pound motorcycle driver. That's not really compatible with my size. So I wouldn't I wouldn't be receiving that liver. But the doctor told me that there was a um, family that had come to conclusion or come to grips with the fact that their loved one um, would not be happy in the the medical state of condition that they were in and that they were in the actual hospital in Vanderbilt where we were and that they had asked for time to say goodbye and that they were being kept alive and that they were going to take them off of the support that they were receiving and then they would have a period of time where their heart would have to naturally stop and that period of time was an hour 
And the heart would have to stop within that hour in order for the liver to still be viable enough to be put into me because the oxygen, it couldn't be deprived of that oxygen. So the clock started ticking at a certain time and you even felt the tension from the anesthesiologist because they were all just anxiously waiting. And this was about a 10 hour wait for us already. And the clock started ticking and I remember just laying there and praying, praying for the family first because the idea of saying goodbye to a loved one I I just did not feel worthy enough for that. I felt sadness for that family. And it made me realize how incredibly important that you turn tragedy into some form of goodness if you're going to lose someone you love. Because their generous and selfless act of saying goodbye to their loved one to give me a second chance for my loved ones and for my children is just priceless and and unimaginable. And in, in this journey and talking about it, I I am shocked at how many people have said, I never thought of being a donor until I heard your story, Kathleen. And that is what I really want people to, to hear and to take home, that if you or if even, God forbid, your children aren't registered donors, because most people would never in a million years think of that. Maybe it's time you pray about it and you think about it and, and you sign them up, just, just God forbid in case. We've been talking with Kathleen Hawkins, a recent liver transplant recipient. And the story is is still amazing, folks. You're not going to believe this. So we're going to take this break, and we're going to be right back with more of Sumner County Spotlight. FNM Bank presents Sumner County Spotlights. Since 1906, FNM Bank has been serving Middle Tennessee with first-class products and services. Visit them today at 221 Indian Lake Boulevard in Hendersonville or myfmbank.com. Okay, and welcome back to Sumner County Spotlight. This is Jeff Shannon, and we're going to continue our conversation with Kathleen Hawkins, a recent liver transplant recipient, and the the story is just amazing, and you're not going to believe what's coming up next. It's a great story. I mean, the the process, I mean, those of you who don't know, Kathleen is, is my wife, and we, we've gone through this journey for quite some time now, and a, a lot of not knowing what was going on to finally knowing exactly what caused the the issues that were going on but the emotional journey is is something that the recipient has to go through because there's all kind of feelings that you experience of course having some you know your family there to help you with that is is awesome but there are those that possibly don't have that we're going to get into that but let's continue now we went through the surgery and which was little shorter than I thought it was going to be, but the the folks at Vanderbilt were amazing, and I just have to give them kudos and a big shout out because they kept me up to date throughout the night, and every step of the way that I was getting a call and letting us know where the process was uh, during the surgery. So, and of course, the couple of days, you probably don't remember anything after that point, so (laughs) things we were telling you, but it was kind of cute, if you will, because when you have a tube down your throat, you can't talk and she's the talker she's she's the the communicator and she was trying to you know communicate to us and it just did not make any sense and i know she was getting frustrated because she was trying to even write but you you can't even feel where you're writing so you're writing in the same spot (laughs) so it it didn't even continue on with the word but anyway we kind of figured it out and uh, eventually got her talking again of course then it hasn't stopped but that that's that's kathleen so let's continue on with the story on on recovery and 
what happened and what you kind of remember about it. I was going to say, I thought you were going to make me talk about the surgery and, and, and afterwards because I don't remember any of it. And don't make me laugh today, Jeff, because my stitches still hurt really, really bad. Um, but it, it was like like you said, I, I remember waking up on Tuesday. The surgery actually finished Saturday morning. And, and I'm so thankful that you were at the hospital for 48 hours straight, you know, I mean, by my side, um, sitting in very uncomfortable chairs. That's my one Vanderbilt request is to get more comfortable chairs for people like my husband that are there for major surgeries. But when I woke up, I remember on Tuesday was the first time probably that I thought, oh, I don't even remember asking my husband anything about like the last three days. Like it was just a complete blur. And I knew we spent time together, but I didn't remember that time at all. And then I just I it, I just felt fine. I mean, I was in pain. They don't support the Oxycontin addiction that is happening or the opioid addiction that's happening in Tennessee because they weaned me off of those within four days, yeah. which was important. Well, I think it, it, what, what's amazing is how little pain medication. I mean, you're talking Tylenol here. And, and the oxy, I think it was oxycodone, was in a very limited supply. But it was, it, it's just amazing to know how little of that, that even to this day that you're even taking. They, well, I'm not taking any now. I haven't been taking any at all. But they, um, I, I was on, probably still on the surgery pain medication Saturday and Sunday. I think I was still on with the surgery, the surgery medication Saturday and Sunday. I was on oxy something or other. I don't even know, or codeine something or other on Monday and then they lowered it in half on Tuesday. They took me off of it and sent me home on Wednesday and shifted to Tylenol only um, from there. So, but it was okay. I mean, it was manageable pain. But if you think about it, an organ, I mean, it wasn't just the organ. Like if you look at all the little connections, the things that the organ is connected to inside you, they had to reconnect those to every tube and every vein and every, you know, all of that to your heart, to your, to your spleen, to all of it, to get it, everything moving again. So I was in quite excruciating pain for at least the first week. Well, you saw, you put up with it <laughs> that uh, I struggled through. But every day I'm getting stronger and I'm getting better. And I know when the physical therapist came through and he asked if I wanted to go for a walk, I said I, I was ready for it. And we actually we actually turned the corner and he said, do you want to go up the stairs? And I was like, sure. And I think he was halfway joking. I'm not sure, but I think he was. And then I started walking up the stairs and he went, do you want to go to the top? And I'm just the type of person that if you ask me to walk upstairs, I'm going to get to the the top of the flight i mean it wasn't that long of a flight yeah. but why walk half a flight of stairs that just isn't a good that's not proper goal setting so i walked up and then i walked back down and and i was really fine and i've been you know going ever since and moving as much as i can it does help to move which which is important but i, I really just want to emphasize for it was really intimidating thinking of how incapacitated i might be afterwards how long I was going to be out of work. All of those were fears that went into it. So if you know somebody that that needs that that needs an organ or is on the transplant list of any type, and I know every human being is different. I, I, I really believe that. But the general consensus that I have learned from doctors and from other people that are up and moving and functioning quicker, it, it really is mind over matter. It really is the power of positive thinking. And in my circumstances, I have no choice but to do this for my children. I have no choice but to do this for myself. And my biggest thing that I have to be cautious of is making sure that I don't overdo it because I don't want to set myself back. So listening to yourself and listening to your body and, and, and keeping moving. But, you know, just it, in, with any illness or anything that you're struggling with, movement is a good thing. And sitting on a couch or laying in bed feeling sorry for yourself isn't. And you know this, like even with work, I have been working and I will continue to work. So we're leaving the hospital 
okay we're checking we, we're leaving the hospital and she comes over to me as she's getting ready to get in the car they wheel her out she goes i need one of those relocation packets so we open up to give her what are you doing with the she was passing out relocation packets to to one of the nurses that that happened to be i guess living in hendersonville so it was like no, she's not living in hendersonville well, she just moved into town and she was living in franklin and though we love franklin sumner county is the county to live in that's right so i was telling her how important it was to get her kids into sumner county schools and you know in hindsight it was a great conversation we had at least of what i remember but in hindsight, I, I really probably didn't look the best. <laughs> and I did say, I'm the president of the Hendersonville Area Chamber of Commerce. <laughs> Here I am with no makeup on, hadn't showered in a week. <laughs> but, you know, yeah. it, hopefully she'll come to Sumner County. No, absolutely. But uh, but it's it, that's how she is, though. I mean, that anybody that knows her, she she's not going to stop. And I knew this before this all came about. I said, you're not going to be sitting in bed. You know, for months at a time, it's just not her. She's going to be up and at him, and that's what she has been doing. She's been working every single day. Email blast. I mean, you're you're working with the staff. You're doing everything that you possibly can. And of course, with COVID, I mean, we're not having contact with a lot of folks anyway. You know, everything is pretty much remotely uh, as it is. I mean, big events have have been delayed or postponed or canceled. But the 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 light at at the end of the tunnel is here. Enlighten folks on you know how you get through this and they will too you know you have to have that positive uh, thinking and positive feeling about it well you know what i'm, I'm so glad you mentioned covid because that is the one that takeaway that i want people to hear from today i want i want them to seriously hear my heart and hear a special request that i have since march of 2020 i have known that i have this challenge and i didn't know i knew i was sick and i didn't know um how long i would have and I didn't know, knowing that my white blood cells and my red blood cell count was so compromised, I didn't know how how hard COVID would set me back and what would happen. And my request is this. You saw, many of you saw me at the Christmas parade. You saw me at uh, every event, the, the movie in the park, the, the movie night that we did, you, at every event, ribbon cuttings, um, business after hours, things like that. And many of you came up and hugged me. Many of you came up and wanted to shake my hand. Many of you came up and weren't wearing masks. And I love you and I care about you. And, and I wanted so bad to hug you back. I wanted so bad to shake your hand. And I tried to put a smile on my face and I tried to be you know strong and firm and maintain my six feet distance. But there were a couple of times that I was literally scared for my life. And I was trying to do my job and I was trying to support my community, but that risk could have literally killed me. So I do ask that COVID's not beyond us. They're, it's not past. I know a lot of people, you know a lot of people that are in our community, that are in Sumner County, that are now struggling with it right now. I have seen so many things come up on my social media th pages of people saying their, one, their father's dying, their mother's dying, their brother's dying. Like, it's right here. And my request is wear your mask. And if you don't want to do it for yourself, do it for people like me that you don't realize that that aren't wearing a sign that says I have been diagnosed with a terminal illness. You know, do it for people like me that um, need that protection. So one day we can hug again. So one day we can shake hands again. So, you know, we're, we're building each other up and not literally breaking each other down. Well, and I think the safety concerns um, are going to continue. I mean, I don't think this is going to go away. People say, well, the mask could go away. And they very well could. They can release some of the, the mask mandates and things like that. But I think people's awareness of safety 
personal safety. I mean, just think of how many times we would go out touching things. And you remember at the beginning of COVID, the main thing everybody kept saying was, don't touch your face. Don't put your fingers on your face. How many times we actually touch our face through the course of the day and you didn't even realize it. It just it was it was the normal thing that, that you did. And the body, you know, maybe built up immunities or whatever, but if somebody has a compromised immune system, you know, the slightest little thing climbing into that body could could set it off and, and be a catastrophe. So I guess the message is just to continue, you know, with the safety precautions. Yes, yes. And you know, I mentioned to you earlier, Jeff, that 2020 did suck. And we all know that. And it, and it was terrible for a, in a lot of ways for a lot of people in, in a lot of different ways, even in, even unlike mine. And I just want to remind everybody that that God's plan is always bigger and greater than anything that we can ever imagine. And that the biggest lesson I learned this year, and I hope you continue to learn is to never walk in fear, but always walk in faith with whatever you're what, with whatever you're going through. And know that, you know, Tennessee is the volunteer state and Sumner County has stepped up. I mean, Middle Tennessee yeah. has stepped up for me. I'm I'm blessed with a a great job that I love with all my heart. I'm blessed with good health insurance and I'm blessed with blessed with short-term disability, but not being able to go back to work for they're trying to keep me away for three months. Yeah. I, I, I don't know if, if that's going to happen. I'm going to fight the, the doctor as hard as I can, but not being able to go back to work and not having a, a paycheck for three months is an, is an unpaid leave. That's a challenge and short-term disability does not pay my bills. The prescriptions alone, actually, I've only gotten one portion of the hospital bill and it's like $475,000 already. That's all. Um, that's it. That's it. And they haven't even processed probably 95% of the bills. So the financial implications are going to be huge. But I can only imagine all the people that are out there that don't have health insurance, that don't have jobs, that don't have short-term disability, but most of all, that don't have the community support. You know, I've been lifted up in acts of kindness. I've been lifted up. I felt the love. I felt the peace that everybody that was casting upon me. And my brother set up a GoFundMe page. And within five days, our community, Sumner County community, took a lot of stress and a lot of pressure off of our family because we received over $10,000 in donations in, in five days to help us get through this this rough time and, and you know stay afloat so I can focus on, on being better and healing more and making a difference. And you know that's the last thing that I really want to, to really emphasize is we all need to continue to show these types of acts of kindness. I think that that's really, really important that if we can continue to show acts of kindness like this towards me or towards um, your sister or your brother or your friend or your neighbor, if we can continue to unite and bring peace to people in that way, that's the virus that we need to be spreading. It's the kindness, it's the love, it's the compassion and the humanity that will help us overcome anything that's going on in this country right now and any virus that's infecting our community. You know, let's let's change it. Let's fill it with love and let's let's bond together because we are stronger together and we are Hendersonville together and I'm proud of that. Well, there you go. She's good at closing. <laughs> That's what happens. Well, look, we're here recording in her recovery chair, uh, which is quite nice. I mean, this thing is it does everything. It stands her up and everything, so it really kind of limits the some of the this the strain of moving around. But <laughs> you're doing it, so <laughs> so well, great. Listen, let's let's end with that because it, I don't think it can get better than that. But. Uh, This is Jeff Shannon, and you've been listening to Summer County Spotlight, our guest Kathleen Hawkins, a new liver recipient, and she is doing really well. Of course, she's the president and CEO of the Hendersonville Area Chamber of Commerce. So that's going to wrap it up for Sumner County Spotlight for this week. 
Stand by next Sunday. We'll be right back here at 10 a.m. every Sunday morning with Sumner County Spotlight. Of course, sponsored by our good friends at FNM Bank at 221 Indian Lake Boulevard, right here in Hendersonville. This is Jeff Shannon saying so long. Sumner County Spotlight on 100.7 WHIN 1010 AM has been brought to you exclusively by FNM Bank, 221 Indian Lake Boulevard in Hendersonville. Whether you need personal banking, banking for your business, a home mortgage, or considering refinancing your home, FNM Bank will provide you with excellent service right here in Sumner County. Visit them today at myfmbank.com. Sumner County Spotlight will return next Sunday morning at 10 a.m. Thanks for listening.